Wrapping it today, this little three-part mini-series. I've been unburdening my heart these last three Sabbaths. I'm concerned. I love you as a people. I love this campus. I love this congregation. I love the community of faith that I'm a part of, but I am concerned. I happen to believe Jesus is coming soon. And based on that conviction, it, it just feels like he has more growing for me to do. And so we plunged into a subject that, wow, bit, bit uh, controversial, pushing the envelope, pressing the edges, maybe getting us out of our comfort zone. I went uh, in January, went to San Diego to stay with, uh, well, went to be with college pastors, uni university pastors, our annual meeting. So we're staying in the Homewood Suites. And I noticed they had a very unusual door hanger for you. You know, the hotels have this do not disturb uh, door hangers. So I said, this is very unusual. So I whipped out my iPhone, put it on the chair, and I took a picture of it. I think maybe this door hanger is what we're all about and what we're, we're kind of struggling with. Let me show you what's on the door hanger. See if you can read it from where you're sitting. I want to stay in my comfort zone just a little while longer. <laughs> Thank you. I want to stay in this comfort Don't move me out of here yet. Don't come in here and start cleaning up. I want to stay here without anybody interrupting me, interfering with my comfort zone. It occurs to me that this little mini-series is about getting moving outside our comfort zones. We struggle, gays, straights, blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, males, females, young, aged, rich, poor, first world, second, third, the whole world. We struggle, all of us. We all have comfort zones. I don't need you coming along, God. In fact, I'm hanging. I hope you see this on the, on, on the door of my heart, God. I want to stay a little while longer in my comfort zone. Don't come in here and start cleaning up. I kind of like it the way it is. God, I have a hard time with some people. You need to just understand this. It's not my problem. It's theirs. But I'm pretty tight with my own. I'm pretty tight with my circle. Don't push me out of this. I want to stay in my comfort zone a little while longer. Thank you. But it occurs to me, ladies and gentlemen, and brothers and sisters, it occurs to me that if Jesus hadn't stepped out of his comfort zone, and he had about the greatest comfort zone in the history of the universe, if he hadn't stepped out of his comfort zone, we wouldn't be here today, not a single one of us. He stepped way outside his comfort zone, way outside to get to the likes of you and me and to pull us, draw us, draw us from the outside back into the inside. And it occurs to me, and that's what this little mini-series has been about, it occurs to me that, in fact, he says, since I've done that with you, would you please do that with the rest? So I want to pray with you, and one last time, into this sensitive subject. 
I think the Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit will enable us to grasp what we need to grasp. We're all here at, at, at multiplicity of needs, and the Spirit says, I'll take care of the needs. You just get into the Word. So let's pray before we get into the Word together. Dear God, I want to stay a little while longer in my comfort zone. Thank you. You know that's the truth about us all. We're most secure where we, where we know life and we know it well. But there are people all around us on this planet orbiting, orbiting us, maybe, just maybe longing to be drawn from the outside to the inside. Help us, dear Father and Lord Jesus, help us through the Spirit to live out what you came to teach us, to show us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been in the Gospel of Luke every time in this little three-parter that ends right now. I want to go back to Luke one more time. Luke chapter 15. And I'm telling you, I'm in a brand new translation. You don't have this translation. I know. This just came out this last fall. I got it just before Christmas. It's called The Voice. I love it. It's not, it's from, you know, Thomas Nelson Publishers, no small or insignificant publishing house. I like it because of the freshness. And I want to stay in, in the voice today. And so I, I need to tell you that if you get it, it's set up like a movie script. Instead of he said, they said, he said, they answered, it says Jesus, Pharisees and scribes, Jesus. So it, re, it looks like a movie script. But it's the freshness of the rendition that I like. And so you'll see. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 15. I want to I take Luke's great summation of the one who came from the outside to the inside of us so that he could get the other outsiders inside. Luke 15. Here's how Luke sums it all up. You've seen these words before. Luke chapter 15. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. There's one in front of you. It's page uh, 704 in the Pew Bible, the Gospel of St. Luke. Chapter 15, just the first two verses. I think you'll like this uh, fresh rendition. Luke chapter 15, I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus became increasingly popular among notorious outcasts. Now, just a little word. Anytime there's italics, that means that the translators, and they have quite a team of translators, have inserted the word. It's okay. Jesus became increasingly popular among notorious sinners, tax collectors, and other social outcasts. The Pharisees and religious scholars noted this. Now, here they go. The religious and ecclesiastical elite, ha, they said. This man welcomes immoral people and enjoys their company over a meal. He welcomes immoral people. Immoral people. I suppose that would be about everybody here. You say, oh, I'm not immoral. You ever broken the Ten Commandments? Yeah, but I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, like this morning... Anybody who goes against God's great moral code of love, and by the way, thank you for having us read 1 Corinthians 13. That was dynamite. Anybody who goes against God's great code of moral, God's great moral code of love, the Ten Commandments, you're immoral, you break them. We're all immoral. What did, what, what did the Pharisees say? You know what? For all their vitriol against Jesus, they got this one right. This man welcomes immoral people and enjoys their company. He really does. He enjoys their company over a meal. Like this story that you probably have heard of. I'm not sure, but let me, let me tell you the story. It goes like this. 
Zacchaeus was a wee little Oh, you know it. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he, Savior, passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. We know the story. Only Luke, by the way, only Luke tells the story. Zacchaeus. I want, you to, I want you to read it. We'll pick it up right where the song left off. This would be Luke 19. You're just a few pages from it. Luke 19. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Luke 19. Jesus comes along. This is verse 5. Luke 19, verse 5. Jesus comes along and he looks up into the tree. By the way, we're not reading verse 2, but verse 2 says he was very rich and he was very short. So this is Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector, very rich. And by the way, you do remember tax collectors. The Jews, because these are fellow Jews that have turned turncoat to the Roman IRS as IRS agents. The Jews called them heathen dog. They were social outcasts. No respectable Jew would have a tax collector sitting around his family board, his family table. And I learned this last week in preparing for last week's teaching. They were all excommunicated, carte blanche. You're a tax collector, you're thrown out of the church. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. You cannot worship with us. Circle our orbit if you wish. You can't come in here. Hated. Hated. So Jesus looks up at the sycamore tree in verse 5, and, and, and there he sees Zacchaeus, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry down from that tree because I need to stay at your house tonight. I'm coming home. You didn't know that, but I'm coming home with you. Verse, verse uh, 6, Zacchaeus scrambles down and joyfully brings Jesus back to his house. Now the crowd sees this, and they are, whoa, they are upset. The crowd grumbling, Jesus has become the house guest of this fellow who is a notorious sinner. You can't believe this. Now somewhere in that late afternoon evening, Zacchaeus turns to Jesus. And the reason we know this is because Back in those days when the wealthy threw a banquet, everybody came. You couldn't come inside, but you could hang around the windows. And so the whole town is hanging around watching this. And Zacchaeus, somewhere in the evening, he turns to Jesus and he says here in verse 8, Lord, I am giving half of my goods to the poor, and whomever I have cheated, I will pay back four times what I took. Levitical law say, says you pay back 1.2 times. Add a fifth to what you've stolen, and you're okay. He says, I'm, I'm four times. Four times what I've stolen, I'll pay back. And Jesus... Looking in the windows, people are spilling in the windows, looking at the house guests. Jesus announces, today, this is verse 9, today, liberation, salvation has come to this house since even Zacchaeus is living as the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to liberate. He came to seek and to liberate the lost. That's why I came, Jesus is announcing to the crowd. That's why I came, for the unethical, for the unscrupulous, for the immoral. That's why I came. He's one of them. But notice, Jesus says, even now Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham. I've pulled him in from the outside. He's now one of us. What do you say to that? Everybody said, yeah, inside the house. <laughs> wow, for the Son of Man came to seek and liberate, save 
the lost. So I got an email last week. We had people listening off-site and on-site. Got an email. I want to read it to you. Just a few lines from it. It's a two-pager. So I'll just read a few. <laughs> Dear Dwight Nelson, my mother once called you quite some time ago because she feared my soul was in danger of eternal damnation. Former student of Andrews University. I did come to your office and talk with you, but I'm sure this happens often and you don't remember me. Now, several paragraphs. Now to the point of this email to you, over 20 years later since we last talked, I am gay. Whatever that means, he writes. I say that because of many reasons, <clears throat> which I do not have time to tell now. I finally, and he puts in all bold and underlined, I finally, in the best way I know how, have tried to separate what I've always understood from a religious standpoint and socially and all the other reasons, setting gay aside that God loves me. You've recently in your sermons brought up the stigma of gay. I am now trying to meet and have God in my life after the phase of God cannot love me because I am gay. Yes, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. I do not know how to accept me and always have thought there was something wrong with me. There were a lot of wild oats sown, which I've been reaping for years. This is several paragraphs later. The only thing more exhausting than telling this was living it. Now, that was a great line. Yeah. So thank you for standing up in the pulpit and telling me that God loves gay me. You must really have some SDA drama over there. <laughs> well, you got that right. Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard a real sermon about me. Isn't that something? I've heard a lot of sermons that I have to mentally translate into a meaning for me, but not this time. For once, it is nice to feel like someone is talking to me and that I'm not watching someone else's life and trying to find the crumbs that fall from the table. I've been really hungry for a long time, but I've kept it a secret. Another city, watching live streaming. I was touched to tears when listening to you today. I am no saint. And God has saved me in and from my sins many times. Last fall, I tried to drown myself, but I'm starting to think God has some other plan. I don't know what that is, but I have spent more time trying not to know, but now I think I would like to try to learn. I just don't know how to figure it out. All in God's time, I know. So today, I'm trying to show up. Thank you again very, very much. Real-life people orbiting our little universe and wondering, is there any good news from God today? Any good news from the church today? I want to say to you, my friend, the same Jesus, the same Jesus in these stories is the Jesus who's walking with you right now. The same Jesus. He has your heart. And he will draw you. You stay. You stay with what he's doing. He will draw your heart. 
into his inner circle. And that's the only inner circle that really counts. Like this other story. I mean, Luke tells these stories right and left. This is Luke 5. I want to share this story with you. Luke 5, same Jesus. Luke 5, verse 17. We were in Luke 5 last week. Uh, those two lines later on in the chapter where Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, what's the problem here? <laughs> the healthy people don't need a physician. It's the sick, and that's why I've come for the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Remember those two lines? That's in this story. That's just, that's after this story. Now here comes the story preceding those lines. This is verse 17. One day, I love this story. And who, you who sent emails, this, this story, this is your story. And mine, by the way. You know, sometimes, I, I have to say in mine, because sometimes we get to thinking, you know, this is all kind of a, this, this, this homosexual thing. No, it's a heterosexual thing. It's everybody's thing. Sinners. That's the point. So maybe this is a story for you. I'm not worried about your sexual orientation. Maybe this is a story for you, ma'am, sir. All right, so this is verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching in a house, and the healing power of the Lord was with him. I love that. There are just some times, and I've mentioned to you, when I step in this pulpit, I can just sense there's just there's something uncommon that's here. And the healing power of the Lord was with him. Pharisees and religious scholars were sitting and listening, having come from villages all across the regions of Galilee and Judea and from the holy city of Jerusalem. Verse 18, some men came to the house carrying a paralyzed man on his bed pallet. They wanted to bring him in and present him to Jesus, but the house was so packed with people, packed tighter than a can of sardines. I mean, it's wall-to-wall -wall flesh because this young teacher healer has drawn people who were left out before. And they wanted to bring him in and present him to Jesus, but verse 19, the house was so packed with people they couldn't get in. So they climbed up on the roof and pulled off some roof tiles. Then they lowered the man by ropes so he came to rest right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, in this way, their faith was visible to Jesus. But now get this. Jesus, to the man. Now he's speaking to the man on the pallet. My friend, all your sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? What I'm about to share with you is not rocket science. Trust me. My friend, all your sins are forgiven. I mean, the man is an invalid. He's on the edge of physical extinction. He's about to die. There's no hope. For the God-man, the God who has made flesh and became one of us, for the incarnate God to look into the, the tortured eyes of that paralytic and for him to say, my friend, I forgive you, instead of saying what we would expect him to say, yo, I heal you now. For him to say, I forgive you, don't you think he knows? I mean, it's not rocket science. But Jesus' words are a huge indicator confirming that the man is suffering from a debilitating disease that is a consequence of personal sin and guilt. At issue here is not a dying body. We have a dying heart in that room now. 
Society's most obvious diseases, come on, it's the ones we, do you hear what he has? Do you hear what she has? Society's most obvious diseases are linked to sexual behavior, sexual practice, sexual sin. Jesus reads the broken heart of this desperate sinner and he speaks the words the man is literally dying to hear. I just need to know, would you forgive me for my life? I love how Desire of Ages describes this. I'll put it on the screen for you. This paralytic had lost all hope of recovery. His disease was the, re life, was the result, rather, of a life of sin, and his sufferings were embittered by remorse. The Pharisees regarded his affliction as an evidence of divine displeasure. Hey, listen, so what's new? There are vast tracts of Christianity that have turned to the gay community and declared you are suffering under a scourge, a divine scourge, because of your behavior. That's why you have AIDS. That's why you have HIV. Pharisees were the precursors. The Pharisees regarded his affliction as an evidence of divine displeasure, and they held themselves aloof from the sick and the needy. Yet often these very ones who exalted themselves as holy were more guilty than the sufferers they condemned. Wow. More guilty? I am, Lord, more guilty than they. So Jesus turns to this man on the pallet. Read it again. My friend, all your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the religious scholars were offended at this. They turned to one another and asked questions. Psst, who does he think he is? What, wasn't that blasphemous? I mean, who can pronounce that a person's sins are forgiven? Who but God alone? Jesus responding now with his own question. Why are your hearts so full of questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Just so you'll know that the Son of Man is fully authorized to forgive sins on earth, he turned to the paralyzed fellow lying on that pallet. I say, get up, take your mat, go home. Amen. Then right in front of their eyes, the man stood up, picked up his bed, and left to go home full of praises for God. Verse 26, everyone was stunned. They couldn't help but feel awestruck, and they praised God too. They said, we have seen extraordinary things today. It is extraordinary. When you're taken from the outside and you're brought by the Savior of the world into the inside with one promise, your sins are forgiven. Wow. In the little book, Tattoos on the Heart, from whence comes this title for this miniseries written by Gregory Boyle who spent over a quarter of a century pastoring gangs and gang members in South Central L.A., still there. In his book, I, I like this. I want to share this with you. Put it on the screen. This is Gregory Boyle. Compassion isn't just about feeling the pain of others. It's about bringing them in toward yourself. Isn't that good? Bring them into yourself. If, if we love what God loves, then in compassion, margins get erased. Be compassionate as God is compassionate means the dismantling of barriers that exclude. And now Boyle makes a point, I have an observation I have never read in my short little life about the story. Notice this. The focus of the story, which we just read, is understandably the healing of the paralytic. But there is something more significant than that happening here. They're ripping the roof off the place and those outside are being let in. That point is so huge, I wish you'd write it down right now. Ushers, would you make sure that everybody here, if you didn't get a, a, a study guide, it's in your worship bulletin, but if you didn't get a study guide, we got any ushers on this side? Thank you. 
If you didn't get one, just hold your hand up and we'll make sure that you get one all the way to the back up in the balcony. Good for you. And while we're getting the study guides, I want to make sure that those of you who are watching right now, and we're delighted to have you, I want to make sure that you get the same study guide. There, there are three prayers that you can pray. You got, I got to get to these three prayers, so you'll write them down. Go to our website. We'll put it on the screen for you now. You see it there in the bottom, right under that tattoo, www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website. Go to the website. You're looking for the little mini-series, Tattoos on the Heart, a case for apocalyptic compassion. The reason the word apocalyptic is there is because the Apostle Paul opened up this little mini-series. Paul says in, in uh, Romans 13, knowing that the, that the time is, that the night is far spent, we are closer to the day of the return of Christ than when we first believed. You need to do this. Do what, Paul? He says in the previous verse, love, one, love your neighbor as yourself. The closer you get to the return of Christ, Paul is saying, you've got this radical compassion has to possess us. So that's why it's apocalyptic. Anyway, go to that. This is part three. This is the end. You can get all the other two parts. If you weren't here for those, you get those at that website as well. All right, let's go. I want you to get the Gregory Boyle quotation. Let's put that, please, on the screen. You'll have to fill this in. Compassion isn't just about feeling the pain of others. It's about bringing them in toward yourself. If we love what God loves, then in compassion, margins get erased. To me, that is just like, wow. Margins get erased. Be compassionate, the Bible says, as God is compassionate. That means the dismantling of barriers that exclude. The focus of the story, which we just read, is understandably the healing of the paralytic. But there is something more significant than that happening here. They're ripping the roof off the place, and those outside are being let in. Margins get erased, and those outside are being let in. You know what? That is precisely... Luke's summation of the ministry and mission of Christ Jesus when he was here. That's, that's Dr. Luke's point. Hands down. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not the saved. Hands down. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was the mission of Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the mission, jot this down, that is the mission of every one of us who says, hey, I, hey Dwight, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, I'm glad. So am I. That means we have the same mission. Would you fill it in, please? It's the mission of those who follow him. Margins get erased, and those outside get let in. So my friends, what do we do? What do we do? Come on. What do we do to erase these margins? How can we let those outside in? What do we need to do? Last week, we shared seven ways the church must live out the radical example of our Lord Jesus. All right, seven ways. But you're saying, Dwight, but, but look, what if the church I belong to, what if the church I belong to absolutely refuses? We're not letting those people in. We're not letting those people in. Do you understand? We have a reputation to protect. What would people say if they see people like this in our church? Hey, listen, is, is our life about our reputation, or is it about Jesus' reputation? I mean, please. Whose reputation are you trying to protect? Why don't we spend, why don't we become consumed protecting His? But I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sad to report this, and you already know this, but there are congregations just like the Pharisees, just like the Pharisees, who will not lift a finger for these orbiting in the shadows around us. No, I'm not letting them in, not letting them in. My friend, if you're in a congregation like that, if I'm in a congregation like that, here's the word, don't be discouraged. I mean, please. Do you, do you remember from the story of Jesus, it takes only one person to shift the paradigm 
It was only Jesus. It wasn't Jesus plus the 13, plus the 12 disciples. Are you kidding? It was only Jesus. One person can shift the paradigm. Follow Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Just follow Jesus. You'll be okay. Don't get discouraged. So here are three prayers. I'll leave these with you and sit down. Three prayers for God to take you and me outside of our comfort zone. Three prayers. Pray these three prayers. He'll take you outside the comfort zone. Actually, all three prayers are tucked away in the, in the most, I suppose, arguably the most famous story Jesus ever told, and only Luke records this one as well. But I'd like to, I'm looking forward to meeting Luke one day. He had a heart for outsiders. He really did. This is uh, back in Luke 15, where we had that little introduction, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Go back to Luke 15. You're, you're, you're there from Luke 5 back to Luke 15. This is, this, you, you remember this. You remember this. We'll find it right here. Luke 15, drop down to verse 11. Jesus said, once upon a time, I got another story to tell you, he says. Once upon a time, there was this man who had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father, and he said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now, which is exactly what happened. And so father liquidated assets and divided them. A few days later, a few days passed, and this younger son gathered all his wealth and set off on a journey into a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything he owned on wild living. He was broke. A terrible famine struck that land, and he felt desperately hungry and in need. So verse 15, he got a job with one of the locals who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man felt so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. Nobody gave him anything. Now watch this. Verse 17, I like this rendition. So he had this moment of self-reflection. That's what has to happen to us. We have to come to a moment, uh, hey, self, how are you living the Christ way around here? So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and I'll return to my father and I'll say, Father, I have done wrong, wrong against God and against you. I have forfeited any right to be treated like your son, but I'm wondering if you treat me as one of your hired servants. So, verse 20, he got up and returned to his father. The father looked off in the distance and saw, saw the young man returning. Hit the pause button right there. Three prayers. There it is. Prayer number one. Jot it down. Prayer number one, ask God to open your eyes to see the one in need. That's what the father did. Jot it down. Luke 15, 20. The father looked off into the distance and saw. Write that in. He saw the young man returning. By the way, there are all kinds of outsiders right here today. It's not just about sexual orientation. I got another email. She was watching. She was watching last week. Live streaming. I'm grateful for our live streaming. So she says, hello, Pastor Nelson. Then she has a little introductory paragraph, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Years ago, I found myself in a position that placed me in the public eye of the church in my divorce. During this time, I continued to go to church However, attended a church where most, if not all, did not know who I was. During one particular Sabbath, the lesson in the Sabbath school class was on infidelity. You know what that means, being unfaithful to your spouse. And I listened as ma many members, including church employees, discussed how they would support fellow Christians who were in this type of unfortunate situation. As the lesson came to a close, I went to my car and began to cry. Why are you crying, girl? 
I was not crying because I had not experienced all the love and support these individuals spoke about, which I had not. She puts in parentheses. My heart ached as I suddenly realized that my entire Christian life prior to my divorce, I had been those individuals with a great intention saying, oh, I'll do that. But much of the time not following through or even worse, talking about the person and their situation. I learned that Sabbath years ago that intentions do not mean anything if I do not have action. I learned that if I want to be like Jesus, I accept people for who they are. I let God worry about changing them. I learned it would probably take me a lifetime to get the plank out of my own eye. And I learned that some of the worst sinners by my standards have a bigger heart for God than me. Oh, and by the way, it is interesting to note that the two people who met my needs during my most difficult times were my Catholic neighbor and an atheist co-worker. How is it they knew how to take action? People orbiting, wondering, could I belong here? Oh, that must have been a great Sabbath school class discussion. Oh, boy, listen, all those ideas. But they didn't see that what they were talking about was sitting right there, totally oblivious. They didn't have eyes to see. Prayer number one, ask God to give you eyes to see. Why don't you ask him to give you Jesus' eyes? Look at this. This is uh, Matthew chapter 6, the message rendition. When Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. He looks and his heart breaks. So confused and aimless they were like sheep with no shepherd. Say, God, would you give me Jesus' eyes to see the ones in need? That's a prayer to get you outside your comfort zone. I got to see. I got to see. Prayer number two, jot this down, please. Ask God to open your heart to love the one in need. I mean, that's what's happening here. Verse 20. Prodigal son, so he got up and returned to his father. And the father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning. And now here it comes. He felt compassion for his son and ran out to him. Would you jot that down, please? He felt compassion for his son. By the way, the Son of God, when he was here in the Sermon on the Mount, Luke's rendition, not Matthew's. This is Luke's rendition. These are the words of Jesus from the voice. Put them on the screen for you, Luke 6, 36. So imitate God, the Lord speaks to us. Imitate God and be truly compassionate the way your Father is, the way the Father is in that story. I want to read a story from uh, Tattoos on the Heart. South Central L.A., where this pastor has served. This is on a Saturday afternoon, all right? Saturday afternoon, he's racing from having preached in, 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 in one meeting, and he's got baptisms in the afternoon. So he says, I, I have this narrow window of a half hour one day between morning and, and the one o'clock baptism, so I stop by the office to go through the day's mail. I'm not there 15 minutes when this woman in her 30s walks through the door. You can picture it. I immediately glance at the clock hanging on the wall. I check how much time I have left before the baptism, and I'm already lamenting that I'm probably not going to get to all my mail now. She just comes walking in. I find out later that the woman's name is Carmen. She's a recognizable figure on First Street, and yet this is her first visit to Homeboy. That's this rehabilitation center where he gets gang members involved in, uh, in running a bakery. This is her first visit. Today is the moment. Today is the moment she chooses Carmen is a heroin addict, a gang member, street person, occasional prostitute, and a champion pelonera. She's a champion fighter. She's
She's often defiantly storming down the street, usually shouting at someone. She's a real gritona. She's a real loudmouth. Hollering at the men inside the bar, she stumbles out to the sidewalk. I've heard her a number of times arguing loudly on the payphone with relatives or friends. Please, let me stay tonight. Let me stay tonight. Now, I look at the clock. I have seven minutes until my baptism. Carmen is a dusty blonde, which couldn't be the color God originally gave her. She's attractive, but so worn by heroin and street life. She plops down into one of the chairs in my office and cuts the fat out of her introductory marks. I need help. She launches right in, brash and something of a no-nonsense <clears throat> no sister. Oh, she says, I've been to like 50 rehabs. I'm known all over nationwide. She smiles. Her eyes wander around my office as she studies all the photographs hanging there. She multitasks, and her inspection of the place doesn't derail her stream of consciousness rambling. The family will arrive for the baptism in five minutes. I went to Catholic school all my life. In fact, I graduated from high school even. In fact, that right after graduation is when I started to use heroin. Carmen enters some kind of trance at this point, and her speech slows to deliberate and halting. And I have been trying to stop since the moment I began. Then I watch as Carmen tilts her head back until it meets the wall and she stares at the ceiling. And in an instant, her eyes become these two ponds, water rising to meet their edges, swollen banks spilling over. And for the first time, really, she looks at me and she straightens. I am a disgrace. I am a disgrace. That email a moment ago? I mean, when you hit rock bottom, what's left? Is there anybody, anybody that'll love me? I am a disgrace. Gregory Boyle, they put this on the screen. God is compassionate loving-kindness. All we're asked to do is to be in the world who God is. Certainly, compassion was the wallpaper of Jesus' soul, the contour of his heart. It was who he was. I heard someone say once, just assume the answer to every question is compassion. Write that down. Any question. Oh, yo, here he's coming. He's coming. What are we going to do? Just assume the answer is compassion. She's on the phone. She's at, what, what shall I say? Just assume the answer is compassion. I mean, what do I do with him? What do I do with her? What do I do with all them? Just assume the answer to the question is compassion. And you and I will never go wrong. Compassion. I am a disgrace. Compassion. Compassion. Prayer number two, to get out of my comfort zone. Ask God to open your heart to have compassion, to love the one in need. Finally, now, prayer number three. Can I get out of my comfort zone, God? Prayer number three, ask God to open your arms to hold the one in need. Now, this is very important. Don't skip this prayer. So what happened with the father, by the way, look at verse 20. So the prodigal son got up and returned to his father, and the father looked off in the distance, and he saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son, and he ran out to him. And here comes number three. He enfolded him in an embrace, and he kissed him. Jot that down, will you? He enfolded him in an embrace, 
and kissed him. What most tax collectors and notorious sinners need more than anything else is for someone inside the circle from which they feel cast out to touch them, to hug them, to embrace them. They need the touch, the physical touch. When Jesus touched the lepers, jot that down, will you? When Jesus touched lepers, the news sent shockwaves through the community of the untouchables as well as the circles of the respectables. Why? Because touch conveys a solidarity that words can never prove. I can say I love you till I'm blue in the face, but if you are keeping me at a sterile distance, if you are not touching me, if you are not saying I share this journey with you now, you don't mean diddly squat to me. I need to know. I am a disgrace. Do you really love me? When you pray prayer number three, you're asking God to open up your arms to hold the sinner in need. You are not compromising with sin. You are loving with compassion the sinner. You think Jesus was compromising in these stories? Are you kidding? We may sin differently, you and I. But when I reach out to you and embrace you as the Father embraces the prodigal, guess what? Your arms go around me, and you embrace me as a sinner too. We get a double embrazo, a double hug. Because I need that hug just as much as you do. We embrace each other. Two sinners seeking together the forgiving embrace of the Father. Oh, and by the way, before I sit down, by the way, did you notice in the, in the story of the prodigal, the Father speaks not a single word to his runaway son about his runaway son's immoral behavior. Read the story to the end. Go home, read the rest of the story. Not a single word. Isn't that amazing? Because I thought it was my mission, in, my mission in this community of faith to make sure that every person who comes knows that's a sin, by the way, and that's a sin, and that's awful. I can't believe you're doing it, girl. What's up with that? Isn't that amazing? Not a word from the Father. You know why? Because the boy already knows that's why. He doesn't need somebody to tell him. I don't need somebody to tell me. I know where I'm weak. I know where I sin. The father says not a word. Just throws his arms around him and embraces him. The only person in the story, by the way, who brings up the immoral behavior of the, of the, of the prodigal son is, guess who? The elder brother, who will not even go into this house where Jesus describes it as filled with music and dancing. He will not even go into that house if that boy is there. He let, then lists to his father all the immorality his your son has committed. The only one to bring up the sin is the elder brother who doesn't know the love of the father. That ought to tell you something. Maybe sinners don't need it rubbed in their faces. Maybe what they need is an embrace. We'll get through this. And I'm staying with you whether you change or not. Jesus didn't go around the circle in Zacchaeus' house and say, by the way, I know you changed, Zacchaeus. Good for you. Transformation is a part of the deal. Are the rest of you going to change? It just doesn't. People do change. People do find power in Christ.
to live above their past. You don't have to be bound by what your conscience is telling you is immorality. Don't listen to me. Just listen to your conscience. You have one. You don't have to be bound by that. You don't have to live with that red light flashing, flashing, flashing for the rest of your life. You can walk away from ca what causes that red light to flash. Jesus says, hey, come on, come on. Stay with me. Don't look back. Don't look back. Stay with me. I'll take you to freedom. I have already forgiven you. I will heal you to the core. That's the word. He never leaves anybody where I was. He says, come on, Dwight. We've got to move beyond this, you and me. But I love you. Whether you run away from home again or not, I love you. Wow. Three prayers you can pray to love the lost back to Jesus. Number one, ask God to open your eyes to see the one in need. Number two, ask God to open your heart to love the one in need. Number three, ask God to open your arms to hold the one in need. Isn't that amazing that when Jesus dies, he said, hey, would you make sure that you nail me into a wide open embrace? I want to die looking like I'm, I want to hug the world. What are you, some wretch of a thief? He dies beside a reject, and he can't hug him. But the Romans made sure that the thief could see that he would if he could. You'll be with me. You will be with me. You'll be with me. What a God. What a God. You see, Ellen White was right. She's absolutely right. The strongest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian, period. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. All right. Take your Connect card, please. I want to think about the next step. Come on, Dwight, where do I go from here? Oh, think with me. It's not... No fun to go home to say, well, let's have dinner now and forget all about it. No, there's got to be something I can do. Visitors, guests, we're glad to have you. Inside the worship building, there's a little card like this. It says tattoos on the heart on this side. Place the amount of information you're comfortable with. Your name and email address would be very helpful because there's going to be something that I'll invite you to ask for. So make sure your email address is there. Anything else you want to put, that's fine. The ushers are coming in just a split second, and they're going to receive these cards from all of us. Members fill them out. Guests fill them out. I invite you to fill them out. Just fill in, just fill in, just fill in. Turn the card around. We call this the My Next Step Today is side of the card. Here are three suggested next steps. Number one, I want to be like Jesus who came to seek and save the lost, as he said at Zacchaeus' place. Yo, boy, check bar. Count, count me in. Yep, got that one down. Number two, I will pray for open eyes and open heart and open arms for those in need. Will you pray those three prayers with me? He said, Dwight, I won't remember them. That's why you have the study guide. You will remember them. Put them in the Bible where you have your worship every morning. Pull them out and pray the three prayers. God, I'm asking for open eyes, open heart, and open, uh, open, open arms. Three prayers. I hope you take seriously this invitation from the gospel to follow the radical example of the Lord Jesus. And finally, number three, I would like to talk with someone about coming Maybe back to Jesus. 
Some of you have sat through this, you've listened through this, you're somewhere in the nation live streaming right now. You've heard this, you're thinking, ah, I don't know that this really is for me. I want to tell you something, my friend. It is for you. You have the life that Jesus came all the way down here to rescue. Your life is salvageable. You can be saved, and you can live, every, you wake up every morning with a, with a song on your lips, hallelujah, I'm alive, and with God today. If you would like to talk to somebody, because sometimes just hearing it is not enough, I invite you to put a check mark right there. You're on our website, we've got the card, you can fill it out. You're right here, put a check mark right there. Within 48 hours, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. Well, you, we say, you tell us where, you tell us when. We'll, we, we will, we will sit down with you. You're not making any commitment, but just, I need to talk to somebody about this. Why not? What have you got to lose? On this other little box right beside it, it's information on baptism. Those were two beautiful baptisms today. Some of you have not been baptized. Wouldn't you like to follow Jesus? I mean, come on, that's what it's about. I'm a follower of Christ. You want to be baptized? Put a check mark there, information on baptism. We'll get that information to you. Nobody's going to be baptized next week. Nobody's going to be railroaded into anything. You choose, you decide. But if you'd like information on baptism, put a check mark right there. Final one. There's a little box there that says serving on a team at PMC. We just put this on this week, and I need to tell you about it because I'm excited about it. You want to live out the compassion of Jesus in our village right here? Listen up. Here's what you can do. We have a new, a new a Czech ministry opportunity. It's after-school programs for Berrien Springs High School students. After-school programs. If you're free and you'd like to help out, there's all kinds of sentences there. You just go to the website. We'll give you the website. If you put a check mark there, we'll send you directly to that site. If you're free, put a check mark there. Check it out. See what you think. Compassion isn't just about people orbiting. It's about how we live life right now. I want to pray with you and commit these decisions to the Lord Jesus. I'd like to ask the ushers, please, to stand now. Dear God, one last time with Jesus, in this little mini-series, it is a compelling example that he lives for us. We have all the reasons in our minds, oh, yeah, but that doesn't apply here. No, no, that wasn't right. And Oh, God, please, get us past that nonsense. Get us to the heart of the Master. Maybe nobody else will do a thing. Then I'll be the only one, okay? Then bless all those that you're impressing to pray these three prayers and to become available to you, to bring those outside, lead them, embrace them back into the inside. You can do it, Jesus. I know you can. These people are candidates for that. So take our next step decisions. We're going to put our cards in the... when the offering plate comes by and... our morning ties and offerings, take them all. It's just a love gift back to you, really. Thank you. Thank you for pulling us from that outside orbit deep into your heart. May we go and do likewise, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.